Okay. In the study of Luke, I have found myself falling in love with Luke again. Um, I love Old Testament uh, and everything, but it seems like to have to listen to the words of Luke uh, and uh, the words of Jesus, particularly the strength of his words, the teaching of his words, have really ministered to me and caused me to really, really evaluate several things in my life. Last time in chapter 12, we saw, um, again, more of the kingdom of God. And that's what I'm kind of going to deal with today. What we see of the kingdom of God in chapter 13. In chapter 12, we saw what we were to fear. Some of the things, these are just some of the things. What we were to fear, what we, where we were not to be anxious, where we were to store up treasure. But in both weeks, you sense an urgency and an urgency to repent, and you can't miss it in chapter 13. It's the necessity for a conversion, a change of direction, uh, the necessity to enter the kingdom of God. In verses uh, 1 through 5, there was a question put to Jesus about the killing of some Jews that were worshiping, And also, um, about, um, uh, he he brings up another incident, which was a natural disaster, you know. But the question was, were they worse sinners? I kind of smiled at my commentaries um, and laughed because each of them, several of them, um, went into extensive explanation of the Jewish thought in that day. And the Jewish thought, if something bad happened... It was because they'd done something bad. And I smiled, as I said, because, you know, that's prevalent today. We're all wondering why bad bad things happen, uh, why, you know, certain actions happen to people. Uh, the The thought is here. Even to the extent we're constantly trying to figure out who and what is to blame. So this could have been a 20th century person asking that question of Jesus. But notice what he answers in both instances. He tells us to repent. He is teaching us that man does not know his time. In Ecclesiastes 12, it says, For man does not know that his time, like fish that are taken in an evil net, and like the birds that are caught in a snare, So the children of man are snared at an evil time when it is suddenly falls upon him. None of us know. I studied Ecclesiastes uh, this summer with a book, and I came away thinking how life is such a breath. It's such a short time, and then it's gone. But he is pointing that, you know, there is a time for all of us. As I looked at the chapter, I saw repent as the key word. Uh, it, it just permeated all the way through the chapter to me. He is teaching us all along that the kingdom is different from what the Pharisees and scribes had made it to be. And that's what he was particularly talking with with these people. After the conversation of the two disasters, 
Teach, Jesus teaches the parable about the fig tree. Uh, you need to know that there is the master, but the master's watching. Jesus' audience knew about the fig tree. It meant something to them. They knew he was talking about them. It was a great illustration. Once when I was uh, teaching in Chicago, I was a part of a group, and a man gave an illustration about a water moccasin and a cottonmouth snake. And of course, with that, I kind of gripped with fear. I knew what they were. But he noticed his audience. His audience didn't have any reaction to it. And it's because that part of Illinois doesn't have any poisonous snake. They don't have that fear. But with Israel, they knew what he was talking about with the fig tree. It says um, in Hosea 9.10, Like the grapes in the wilderness, I found Israel. Like the first fruit on the fig tree in its season, I saw your fathers. So when he gives this illustration of watching and, and the growth that's necessary and that there's a time and a season and it will be cut down, they understood it to be judgment. The parable itself teaches us the importance of growth. Growth that pleases the master and draws us closer to him. Growth with fruit of joy, peace, love, patience, drawing closer to him. Moving on in the chapter, he also clarifies what the Sabbath is really about that part of the kingdom. Uh, you see the contrast between the expectations of man and the heart of God. He cares for a daughter of Abraham that probably had worshipped there for a long time and had been ignored. The thought of being uh, able to, to look down for 18 years and not to even look up, I can't imagine. But he puts his adversaries to shame with the healing, and others are rejoicing. Caring for our brothers and sisters are part of the kingdom. He moves on to two parables about the kingdom, the kingdom of the mustard seed and the leaven. Mustard seeds, those little things that you see in the bottom of your uh, pickle jars. And uh, a couple of the sources I had, they grow, grow to be a bushy but strong tree that's uh, 10 to 15 feet tall or 9 to 12, depending on what I was reading. But it grows to a considerable size. But in the parable, the other gospels talk about the growth and there needs to be growth. But in Luke, he talks about what nests in the tree. He talk about, talks about the birds, and they build nests. In ancient Jewish writings, birds were Gentiles. And as you've seen in your from every part, they're going to come and nest in that kingdom. All kinds of birds shows the inclusiveness of the kingdom. It shows that his kingdom includes and grows more than I can imagine. As I thought of the kingdom and the nest and the different peoples that will be in that kingdom, people that I have no idea about will be there. All nationalities. From the extensive growth of the mustard seed, 
we move to the intensive growth of yeast. It's inside. Um, I used to bake bread, used to. Uh, I do it rarely now. Um, and at one point, I was helping out and baking for large gatherings. Um, just a little, uh, you know, the flour, uh, the water, and a little bit of sugar or honey, as we were talking about. And all of a sudden, it explodes like a puffball mushroom that explodes overnight. Uh, the power within. It permeates every part of the flower. So is the kingdom of God. It is permeates, it is to permeate every part of us also. Traveling along the countryside as Jesus was, he asked, he was asked, uh, will there be few saved? Or really, how many is going to be saved? Is it just going to be a little big, you know, again, man assuming. We, I need to know a detail. He assumed uh, that all of, he was Israel, and he assumed that all of them would be saved. But Jesus teaches the line between saved and not saved is not nationalistic, but it's spiritualistic. It's the spirit. It's the heart. It's the heart that's turned toward him. Um, I found this interesting. Uh, Jesus doesn't give a direct answer. It seems like, you know, he says, yes, there's going to be many. No, you know, he doesn't give a direct answer. But as Matthew Henry said, and I thought this was good, he gives the answer that guides men's consciences, not to gratify their curiosity, but to guide their conscience to what they should be thinking about. The answer he does give is important. In verse 24, he says, Strive to enter through the narrow door, for men, I tell you, will seek to enter and not be able to enter. Um, he says you several times, pointing to the answer. Uh, the strive here means to exert oneself to the fullest, to strain every nerve in our struggle, but it isn't a struggle for salvation. It's a struggle with our daily things that we have, with Satan, with sin, the old nature. It is a struggle. There's another picture we need to see, uh, and that's the door, the door. And it closes. There's a time limit. We saw a time limit at the first of the chapter because there were several that died, but there's a time limit. Key to the kingdom, he has said, is to repent. That is the key. I acknowledge that God is the ultimate authority over all. The world doesn't teach me that, but I know he is. I know of myself I cannot accomplish to meet his standards as all, at all. The world doesn't have a desire for that. I recognize only through his son's redemption on the cross that I can even stand before him. And I desire that. Jesus has shown us in this chapter that the kingdom is growth, not just the leafy kind. Um, I've talked about my plants, but, you know, I have this fig tree I'm trying to keep growing, and I, I rejoice every time a leaf comes. I rejoice when it's shining and everything. 
There's a lot of people that have shiny leaves. They look good. They have good shiny leaves. But what he is asking for is a production of fruit. And a lot of times the fruit hangs underneath. But it is also the power in that fruit to uh, reproduce. I want not just the leafy, shiny growth, but I want the fruit uh, that's underneath the leaf that produces and reproduces. In verses 10 through 17, the kingdom is about caring for others. The power of God that breaks the bonds of Satan, as he did with a woman. The power that can change someone from only looking down to looking up to God and seeing his glory. That's his power of the kingdom. The kingdom of God starts from something small, but it grows. It starts small in my life, but it continues to grow. Just as I stay in his word, it continues to grow. The external growth that is seen, but is also, there's the eternal, internal growth, a deeper peace, a strength in him that I get from the kingdom. When you break bread uh, with the yeast, if you're baking a small amount or a large amount, if you come back into the house if you've been outside, it is all a sweet savor, a sweet smell that you like to smell. Everybody likes baking bread. So is his spirit in our lives. It is sweet. The kingdom of God on this earth for man is for a time. It is illustrated with the falling of the tower in the first few verses, and the closing of the narrow door. It is for a time. The key, as I've said in the beginning, is repent. Jesus shows this the door and what the kingdom of God is like, that we should live in it. With his engaging spirit, we need to continue to strive with his spirit. Lord, I thank you for today. I thank you for chapter 13. I pray that it is ministered. But Lord, your word is the power. Move in us today. In Jesus' name, amen.